This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie. I'm Danielle. And we're back, baby. We're back. This week, wow, already such a stunner. Just for me personally, what about you? <laughs> just like the week itself has been a stunner. <laughs> I mean, no. I'm just, I'm lying. I'm just trying because I swear to God, I feel like I come to this podcast every week and I'm like, I have no news. What are you doing? Like, I just feel like such a fucking boring piece of shit and so i wanted to come at it differently and be like i had the most amazing week and i was hoping you wouldn't ask me details see i appreciate the energy so much though that i feel like i can't let you down if you had a stunner of a week i want to know every detail (laughs) i truly did not though that's the secret (laughs) is that i was like i'm fucking lying well i had a stunner of a week yeah i was i figured you probably did so what's going on A, a stunner of a day First of all, um, well, I did go, I went to my dentist, not the orthodontist, the dentist. I got my teeth clean this week because it's always about my mouth when I leave my house. Very exciting. And my dentist is in Redondo Beach, uh, which if you're not familiar with L.A., it is not in L.A. It's like 35 minutes away, which by car, because of traffic, will take you like an hour and a half. Um, And you have to do that one tenth split, which I hate, like that whole thing. So two things happen that I don't know why they just crack me up. On the highway, I was behind a garbage truck. I've just never seen a garbage truck on the highway before. <laughs> I don't know why it made me laugh so hard. I've never seen garbage flying from it, which would be super fucking funny. But um, it, it is funny really to watch a garbage truck go 55 miles an hour. Really, exactly. And it was like zoom in. It was really, it just made me laugh. And then as I was leaving my dentist's office, I saw... Um, the Torrance police or the Redondo Beach police have uh, they drive minivans. Their forensic unit drives minivans. And I, that just also made me laugh really hard. <laughs> like, I have got to get out more. But those two things <laughs> separately cracked me up. Oh, um, you're like amused by vehicles. You're like a three year old. You're like my nephew. I am 100. I was just I'm like a three. I am definitely a three year old. Like, I was so <laughs> I was like I was it was like I was in a Richard Scary book. I was so psyched. <laughs> Like and there's the forensic van. <laughs> and the garbage truck goes zoom on the highway. Um, and then today, I was a little bit late to our recording, and thank you to our wonderful team for waiting for me and for you as well, Millie. Oh, sure. um, because I was signing my living will and trust. Yes, <laughs> adult things. We adult love things it. We love it. Do you have one? Do you have a will? Ah. Uh, I don't. I I feel like I I feel a little bit of shame because I got to be honest, like, you know, I almost died like two years ago. And that really put a lot of things in perspective for me (laughs) in terms of paperwork and um, yeah. So I I, it's it's shameful because the funny thing is, is that when um, I had this sudden 
illness. I basically had septic shock, which is very serious. And um, I uh, was in a really bad place in the hospital for a couple weeks. And um, I remember when I went to the hospital, like when I was in the emergency room, I, they, you know, somebody comes around and they ask you, like, do you have a will? Do you have a advanced directive? And I was like on pain medicine. So I was like, no, I don't. I don't because I'm 39 and I just never knew that I I never knew this was going to happen, obviously. Yeah. And that's, I guess, the whole shit about it is that you just don't know. And then I remember them telling me at some point, like, you should probably have one. Like, a lot of people don't your age, but you should. Since you're, and like, was hooked that- up to all this stuff, maybe you'll think about, <laughs> since we just, like, excavated your body, maybe you want to go in and sign something. But it was, like, it was a little, it was light shame uh, <laughs> while I was on fentanyl. But it's fine, because I needed it. Right. So at some point I did do an advanced directive, you know, basically all this stuff that's like, you know, all those like little details about being intubated and uh, being on the life support and all that stuff. But I did. But I didn't do the will part because I was like, oh, that's going to require like all this other stuff, like a lawyer and blah, 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 blah. And I never got around to it. And it's shameful because I need to fucking do it ASAP. So I'm proud of you for doing it. Thank you very much. And I, I don't want you to feel shame because I think that our country specifically does not we don't, we're not we don't do well at addressing death or anything about death or growing mm-hmm. older at all. Yeah. And so what I was always raised to think is like you only sign a will if you have some shit to give away. <laughs> like I don't have very anything. True. So like, yep. why would I have a will? <laughs> like if you have kids or if you have property right. usually. But yeah. Right. And I'm like, I don't have I'm a renter and I'm single and I have no kids. Why do I need a will? Um, But it's not even. And what's strange is like it's what really kicked me into doing this is that, you know, I've been watching my grandmother get older and I have her power of attorney. Like I'm her durable power of attorney. I have her advanced health care directive. Like when she was still completely with it, she made sure that that was I made sure that that was signed for her. And the reason I did that is because my family is insane. And this is you don't have to have anything to want to protect yourself from people who are wild. Yes. My family will fight you in the street for a quarter. Yeah. Like that is it. And so that was important to me that things like, you know, the the blankets that she crocheted for me when I was a kid or the family photos, you know, like my mom would get them, get booted out of her apartment, put them in storage. And then there goes our family history. <laughs> So I'm like, we can't we can't have this shit going on. So I did it because I really I just wanted to protect my grandma a little bit. And I don't want anyone kind of interfering with what she wants for her end of life care. Um, So that was important to me to kind of protect her. And then again, my my aunt died last year. She had, um, you know, stage four breast cancer and she was separated from her husband for almost a decade. But they were not divorced. And so when she died, even though they were not divorced, he got everything. And that was the last thing she wanted. Um, Yeah. So watching my family age has really kicked me to a place where I feel like, all right, well, I don't have a lot, but I definitely want what I do have to go to the people that I want it to. And, you know, like my goddaughter and, you know, I've got siblings and nieces and nephews and friends. And I just kind of want people to think about it that way if they're at all encouraged to think about this stuff that it's not morbid to plan for your death and that I think that you know it actually makes me feel instantly a lot better yeah <laughs> like, truly. and it also is a kind thing to do for the people who are gonna live after you I mean yes 
you're right. You don't you honestly you don't need to have a bunch of fucking stocks and islands and shit like you. You can be a renter. You could be a wage worker or anything like you can just you like you need a plan for what happens for anything. And yeah, even if it's like a fucking I don't want anybody to have my like original pressing of Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division. Like, fuck that. Right. I'm telling somebody where that's going. Well, now where it's going is I'm going to come and rob you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, you know, whatever is that? I don't even right. know. I, I, even on that level, I'm like, I guess don't take my... Um, <laughs> I'm like, what? All of my shit is in a storage facility in Panorama City right now. So I'm like, I don't even know what I own. Um, don't take my original copy of the Seven Deadly Monkeys manifesto. Just fucking <laughs> don't take that shit. But that's the thing, right? Is that that's like, you know, it took me being like footloose and fancy free literally one day and then like in the hospital Mm -hmm. on a respirator the next day to be like oh like i need to figure out like i don't it's not even just for me and my shit it's for my mom and dad it's for my sister my nephews so it's not the the tax of grief and the planning and all this shit that you have to do for somebody isn't like this hard task. Like it's going right. to be hard, but it's not going to be as hard. Absolutely. All I ask is that when I die, I'm doing this because I want to give people enough emotional space and mental space to just weep on my grave for three months straight. Like everything's set. You can just go and take a pilgrimage and just cry over my ashes or whatever the hell. Put me in an action figure. I don't care. Just like give your people space to just party and cry tears of blood in your honor. (laughs) I'm really excited by the idea that I will be able to be my full like Anna Magiani character (laughs) where I'm fucking wearing the fucking black veil i'm like the fucking <laughs> like beating on the casket yeah, like, <laughs> oh my god that's in my will i'm sorry guys it's in there it got notarized so now you got to do it <laughs> listen you know <laughs> it, it, we've heard so many so many different types of stories about people who have passed away and like you know left things to their animals and have very specific situations set up um and i think it's you know like y- y'all better not fucking let me think about this too much like when i finally get a will i'm like okay the plan is that we're all going to gather uh, on an island and <laughs> you're going to be required to play Q feels dancing in heaven out of like seven fucking full stacks. And all my favorite bands are going to play. We're going to have food from every single restaurant that I've ever loved. Like, don't let me think about it too much, because honestly, oh, I will go there. I want you to start a blog about it. I want everything <laughs> detailed. And if the band 311 dies before you i want their holograms at your funeral <laughs> listen i want i want the 311 alien head to like be a hologram image above my body for all I want, eternity <laughs> I, I want them to play homebrew 
Um, but no less than five times in a row. <laughs> it's stupid. Like, like I, I have to basically like some days stop myself from being like, all right, let's just fucking do this. Will. And I'm literally putting any goddamn thought I've ever had in my head. That is how it should go. That is how it should go. It, it is. And you, you can always change it. You can always change it. But I think you should do it when you're at your most crisp and hilarious moment of your life where sarcasm <laughs> is still going. I left my cat because Carrot, you know, he's he's a young dude. Um, and again, who knows what could happen tomorrow? And I left my cat to my brother because I feel like that's the only way he's going to get money. It's like, <laughs> if I, I've given you so much money over the course of our lives that if I let, if I make you take care of my cat, then I'll give him an allowance and you can use that for yourself. That's right. Like I'm pulling some Leona Helmsley shit. I won't ask you to give us the details of your will, but I, I was like, there's got to be some shit in there that it's going to. Oh, yeah. I'll give you that detail. My brother, P.S., for those of you who don't know, because I don't know if I've talked about him too much. He is the loveliest. We have a great relationship. He's one of the only people in my family that I can actually stand. I just love him. And he's a couple years older than me. But my brother has looked like Drake since like a decade before Drake was born. <laughs> So his whole life has just been like, I'll let women take care of me. Why not? Oh, I wish. And then again, here I am as like little goblin sister who's like, I'm going to work hard and take care of myself. And he's like, yeah, I'll take some of that, too. And I'm like, no. So he's basically just like <laughs> he loves Frisbee golf. He is just like the chillest person you're ever going to meet because he has never had to do anything. He's been hot his entire life. He's been hot saying. his entire life. And he um, also like has never been to therapy. So he's has, he hasn't even done the work of like digging into our shitty childhood or our family life. He's just like, everything's cool. And I'm like, how? How did I get all of this? <laughs> how? We were there at the same time, dude. So, yeah. So he is very chill and lax and very much like, you know, he, he's he's a sweetheart. I love him. But there's no way I can give him control of anything because he doesn't know how to do anything. <laughs> I can't. I cannot yeah. understand how we're related, how we're the same. <laughs> like, I, I was cannot. Gonna say, I know that, you know, you write for television and this has to be, I mean, honestly, this sounds like a Seth Rogen movie. Um, yeah. Maybe we could get actual Drake to play your brother, where it's basically like he's left all this stuff in a will and he's like, I don't even know what any of this is. Yeah. I'm just going to have a bunch of stuff. And I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> oh, completely. It would be I'll just be playing frisbee golf with uh, Jason Sudeikis or somebody. You know, like. Look, he's just going to go to the lake, guys. Let's go to the lake. Whatever. <laughs> he is so chill. Like, he, it would be fucking mayhem if I let him even like try to clean out my closet. He does not know how to fold or hang clothes. Like It's a mess. And I know I'm making him sound like an invalid. He's not. He's just hot. I'm not saying this because you have just told me that your brother looks like Drake. But I do want to meet him uh, just yeah. based on everything that you've said that is in the fact that he's hot. Um, but I would like to see that for myself. I'm not going to lie. I want to oh, see that. You is would, that creepy? You would, Am I doing the thing where I'm like, I'm talking about your brother in a way that you don't want me to talk about him? No, it's my whole life. I'm fine with it. Like, I, I knew my place in this relationship dynamic with him from the time I was like seven. Listen, I had a hot sister. I know exactly what that's like. I was just like... 
and she was the younger sister. And I definitely knew guys my age that were like, yo, your sister. And I'm like, talk about a fucking sissy SpaceX shotgun. <laughs> I was like, get the fuck off my porch. Like, do I not, you you're a fucking dirtbag. You are not talking to my sister. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm ending this friendship right now. Oh um, my God. Don't even utter her name around me. Oh, completely. And let me tell you, it also doesn't work the other way where I was like, hey, your friends are kind of cute. And he was like, so? Like, try it. I dare you. And I'm like, ew, <laughs> the fuck, dude? Like, he ran track with one of my biggest high school crushes. And he was like, try it. And I'm like, can you get no information for me? Like, am I that bad? Oh yeah, my God. it does not work. Well, it's good that he has a sister to keep his ass in check then. Because honestly, like, when you are hot your entire life, sometimes you need somebody to be like, yo, you fart and it stinks. And you just need to know that about yourself, you know? Hot siblings, I, they can go straight to hell. <laughs> <laughs> and also, too, I always wanted brothers. I mean... Mm. I had one sister. I mean, I, to be honest with you, like, I think I was the brother in the family. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe my sister will say that. Like, I was like, oh, I was the brother, though. Because I had, like, I played sports. I, you know, collected records. I smoked a bunch of weed. I went hiking. Like, I did all the brother stuff. So maybe... Look. You know, you have to be the change you want to see in the world. And if mom and dad are not giving you brothers, you have to be your own brother. I have to be my own brother. Sometimes you have, you have no, to be your own brother. You had nowhere else to go. I know. I was a cool brother, too. You were. I was going to say, at least you were a cool I was, brother. Uh, for me, I was my own cool brother. Thank God. Uh, Can we make that so our episode title? I was my own cool brother. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, but danielle will be posting her last will and testament on our social media um yes. it's at i saw pod no i'm kidding um <laughs> although i will I say proud of you though i'm proud of since you. since we own this this business together you're gonna get some paperwork you have to oh, shit. Shit. <laughs> am i gonna be deposed <laughs> just so it's like like i didn't want to put it in there like hey if i die millie can only do this podcast with channing tatum or something <laughs> like that. i can see it now i'm gonna be fully vaccinated i'm gonna be an acapoco and there's gonna be this like sweaty lawyer barreling down the beach with a bunch of paperwork and it's gonna be like millie and Cherico? I'm here to give you the paperwork from Daniel Henderson. And I'm like, oh, my God. And it's going to be like an 80s comedy. Like, I'm just going to be like, I'm drinking out of a coconut. Can you leave me alone right now? <laughs> Couldn't she have died some other time? Did she have to die right after the pandemic a year into this fucking podcast? <laughs> I feel like that oh. Elliot Gould suit from the long, uh, the long <laughs> by where it's just like the tie is always a little disheveled. <laughs> a little bit frumpy listen i i did not just wish for your death just that you did I was literally you did just but talking it's okay. about the paperwork you could still did? be alive that's true i wish for my own death i i am i am you i was projecting i was projecting but you're right listen. you just said paperwork <laughs> What did I say, like, right before we press record? I hope this doesn't get too dark. But look. <laughs> and here I am. Wishing for my own death. <laughs> oh, my fucking God. All right. Well, let's uh, let's lighten up the <laughs> convo a little bit, shall we? Let's do it. Um, 
All right. So we actually do have like one little nice email to read. And this is from a listener named Alicia. Uh, Danielle, take it away. Well, Alicia writes, uh, Dear Millie and Danielle, your podcast, your voices and humor are exactly what I've been missing in my life. I love film. I always have. Growing up in Seattle, a light-skinned Mexicana, the majority of my friends were white. We'd rent from Blockbuster together, attend the Seattle Film Festival together, but there was something missing. I've been hooked to your podcast from the start. I share about it constantly, but it wasn't until the Brussels Sprouts episode that I realized what it was. Enjoying film with other femmes of color is my missing piece. Growing up watching the Brothers Wayans, this theme represents a nuance that only POCs would understand. Thank you for filling in this part of me and giving me a reason to prioritize watching movies each week. Take care. Alicia. Amazing. I fucking love it. And she does include her pronouns, which thank you for that always. She has a PS here that says, uh, when will you start selling merch? Hmm funny you should mention that actually we have been selling merch over the past couple weeks it's available now so i I mean we've been pushing it a little bit on our social media but we have a fine selection a fine curated selection of quality artisan goods (laughs) and we hope that you know we're, we're gonna do probably some more rounds later we might add a few things and you know we obviously have Certain things now in certain colors, but we're going to expand all that hopefully in the future. But what's the website that they can find it at? It's pretty easy to find us. You can either, if you're on Instagram, you can go to our link tree. There's a link in our bio. Um, but our main site is uh, exactlyrightmedia.com slash I saw what you did. So if you go to that site, you'll see our merch, you'll see our episodes, buy a shirt, buy a t-shirt, buy a hoodie. We are going to have, um, this is just the first wave. We're going to keep releasing stuff as it makes sense to. Every funny thing that Millie says could be a t-shirt. So we're going to have like our own curated Yeezy style collection by the end of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, can we get like a collab going with your grandma and like, shit, let's shoot our shot. (laughs) Nike. (laughs) <laughs> or, you know, or like, let's just Apple. Can we have an Apple X Danielle's grandma? That's what the I want to say. The gamer, the gamer version. <laughs> <laughs> also, this is a good point. This is actually a pretty good time to say, too, that look, we also wanted grab a knife cut his throat t-shirts we legally cannot make weapons and that's all i have to say about that we can't make weapons we tried to have knives made we can't make weapons and we can't incite violence so unfortunately that shirt ain't coming (laughs) you're gonna have to write it on a white hanes t-shirt with sharpie if you want that merch which would be the coolest thing of all time it truly would I'm I mean, write it, write it on your trapper keeper because we cannot incite violence. We tried. <laughs> We're like, it's not really us saying it. It's just like the shirt and like, nah, nah, we can't. We can't have Karen and Georgia going to jail because you idiots want to put cut his throat on a fucking knife, which would be like <laughs> exhibit A in any courtroom and a case that would take five minutes to solve. Nicholas Godershaw would have mailed that shit to himself <laughs> and been like, yo, we know exactly who told him to do this. Ah, oh, that's a callback. But yes, our merch is tight. So go, go get it. Go look at it. Check back often. We'll update you whenever we have new products. And I have to also say, this is a great place to shout out our wonderful designer, 
uh, John Walters, who designed our esteemed dirtbag hoodies and a bunch of other stuff we have coming out for you. Um, so go check those out. Woo woo! Go get some sweatpants to ride out the rest of this quarantizzle. I'm really excited about our theme today. Uh, so why don't you just tell the people what it is? Our theme today is neighborhood creeps. Ugh. <laughs> what a ripe apple to take a bite out of. Am I right? Yes, you are absolutely correct. Harry Carey. <laughs> <laughs> My hero. No, it's true. It's true. God, it's so funny because like, Everyone has had a neighbor, right, in their lives. And neighbor, I mean, we had a neighbor story of yours a few episodes ago, which was quite a pickle. And in fact, I, we never followed up with that story. So maybe at some point oh we'll do word. that, maybe on a bonus episode. But um, neighbor stories are always really amusing to me. me I love hearing too. my friends tell stories about their neighbors. I do as well, because we've also heard about one of your more more recent neighbors <laughs> who appeared on your doorstep with a bleeding head wound that she wanted you to take a picture of with her iPad. <laughs> so neighbors are, look, neighborhoods in general are strange, and I think suburbs are the strangest of them all. Like Much in the way that I think that babysitting is a psychotic endeavor, I think that suburbs are just like a wild notion. It's just yeah. a, too wild a notion. And the way they developed is weird because it's all about class issues, right? Mm -hmm. So in the 18th century, yeah, I'm taking it back. Strap in, <laughs> y'all. <laughs> get, get a pop of Diet Coke. We're going back to the 18th century. Love it. Um, in the 18th century, they kind of developed in England when all of these poor people started pouring into the city for work because of all the industrialization. So then all the rich people who lived in the city started buying estates on the outskirts of London. So that was, genu it was genuinely how it worked. Like, oh, poor people are here. We got to get the fuck out. Yeah. And then in America, in the 1950s, it kicked off, not just with class, but because we're awesome and we want to double down on everything, we also added the element of race. So post-war America, everyone was promised some kind of prosperity. Um, and then the, the housing industry just kind of like blew up. And... There are a couple of things that you can read that are important here to understand this, but it was kind of an, an intentional racial segregation. So you had all these redlining policies where black families were literally not allowed to buy or rent homes in certain areas. And then um, there, there's a book called The Color of Law uh, and there's a book called Evicted. And I think both of, both of them came out pretty recently. I read Evicted. I haven't read The Color of Law yet. Um, but if you're at all interested in how suburbs developed, how housing developed in this nation, it's worthwhile to look at some books and look at some literature. I was also thinking a lot about when I was thinking about the suburbs, the Julianne Moore character in The Hours, because I think yeah. like living in the suburbs really made her like suicidal <laughs> like it was not yeah. it's not a good fit for everyone and like her husband came home from the war and they had this family and she just didn't fit because it was all very like edward scissorhand cookie cutter houses and some people just don't fit in there so it's very a very classed and race racialized thing that's happening with the development of suburbs and i think it's all kind of nuts yeah i mean i think 
with the movies that we chose for this theme, the suburbs, I mean, obviously the movie that you picked, the entire movie is about the suburbs. It's about the concept of living out there and the kind of conundrums that are presented for people that live in in the burbs, right? But my movie is definitely in the city. It takes place Mm -hmm. in Greenwich Village or New York City. But there's also like in the movie that I picked, they address the situation of how people live in big cities. Yes. Which is, it is class. You know, basically like when you live in places like New York, LA, big cities like that, you live on top of each other. And that's Mm -hmm. the center of my movie this week. Right. So it's interesting because, you know, I think it's a nice like compare and contrast in a lot of ways. Um, Just, you know, I think both of our movies, there's definitely a thematic link because honestly, when we were talking about this concept (laughs) of the neighborhood creep, right? It's that thing where you're like, there's such a history of the neighborhood creep, right? Even as you're growing up, like the weird house on the block, the weird old man that lives in the apartment upstairs. (laughs) There's always one. There's always one neighborhood creep. Even if your neighborhood is like two houses on opposite ends of the road, one of you is the creep. Right. And that was the thing is that when I was like going through, like when I was thinking about the movie that I'd picked and I was thinking about like my own experiences with neighborhood creeps, I was like, to be quite honest, like, I don't think I've ever not had a neighborhood creep in my, in my, and I've lived in a lot of different places. Like I've lived in apartments and freestanding houses. I've lived in the city. I've lived in the country. I've lived, you know, so it's sort of like in all those situations, there's a creep. Absolutely. The scope of the creep is, is wide. (laughs) And then there are moments where I was like, are we the creeps? Am I a creep? (laughs) (laughs) Certainly felt that way, especially in high school. I'll tell you, like when I, when we were growing up, I mean, I think I've, I don't even think I've talked about this necessarily, but like, you know, when we were growing up in Georgia, like we lived in a very white part of town. Like we lived in a, a, a white suburb north of Atlanta and we were pretty much the only people of color that lived in my neighborhood. And that is saying a lot. And we were here's a couple of immigrants and their kids and there's like weird cooking smells and there's fucking grandparents that live in the you know the room above the garage and i am certain that like we were the creeps of that neighborhood (laughs) (laughs) i love this so much because this is this is the kind of interrogation that i was doing when i was watching both of our movies as well because i feel the same way like we were one of a very small amount, like one could count on one hand, the amount of people of color in my town growing up. Yeah. Um, So we were that family. And we were also the only people I know who rented. Like I grew up in a duplex Mm -hmm. and I've always lived in apartments. I've never lived in a house unless it was like a rented house that was a duplex. So I think we were the creeps because they're like, oh, they rent and they go to the laundromat. They don't have a house with a washer and dryer and a car like they don't have anything. So I think we were the creeps in my neighborhood as well sometimes. Yeah, it's so interesting because you're you're like, yeah, it is race and class. And, you know, sometimes it's literally just the the refusal to assimilate. Like that's that's a thing I think that's really 
in your film is this idea that like, you know, the burbs are like essentially like there's this sort of like silent agreement that you're going to be like boring together or something. Yes. And then there's like one house. that's like, well, they're not doing our thing. We're doing something different. So they're murderers. <laughs> it's, it's so much self-policing. Yeah. It's Ugh. so much self-policing that creates a neighborhood creep. Oh, my God. I have so much to say about that, too. I have uh, we have a lot to talk about in this episode. Yes. And I'm, I, I think it's going to be super fun. So I'm super excited to talk about especially your movie, because you're I haven't seen it in a very long time. And I think you're going first this week. So I am going first this week and I'm Yay. excited to talk about my movie. And I can't wait till we talk about your movie, particularly because I want to know who you think is the neighborhood creep in your Ooh. movie. Yeah. And who's the neighborhood creep in my movie? Like we can let's talk about it. The Mm -hmm, movie that I chose mm -hmm. was released in 1989. It was directed by Joe Dante, written by Dana Olson, and it's The Burbs. Welcome to Mayfield Place. A typical street in the Burbs. Morning, Walter. Where nothing much ever happened. Walter's dog just took a dump on Rumsfield's lawn again. Until the Klopex moved in. Klopex? Klopex. Klopex. No one goes in. No one comes out. Neighbors from hell. Okay, so this movie, it holds up. I was laughing so hard watching this movie. Um, I'll give you a little little synopsis. Uh, this, First of all, this movie has an incredible cast. We've got Tom Hanks playing the main, one of the main characters, Bruce Stern, Carrie Fisher, Corey Feldman, Henry wow. Gibson. Like it is a, a nonstop hit parade uh, with this cast. Um, but the synopsis is that Ray, Ray Peterson, who is played by Tom Hanks, lives on this cul-de-sac in the suburbs. He's on vacation for the week, and instead of going to the lake, they decided that he's going to stay at home and relax and get some projects done. You know, his his wife is, you know, Carrie Fisher um, keeps kind of asking, like, hey, can we go away? And he's like, no, I'm going to fix the barbecue. Like, our kid's going to hang out. It'll be cool. It'll be cool. It's the summer. I'm on vacation. It's fine. And this is the kind of neighborhood where... You can tell the personality of the people living in the houses based on the outside of what their house looks like. So you have the house with the perfectly manicured lawn that the elderly neighbor lives in um, because he lets his dog shit in everyone else's yard. So that's why, like, his yard looks pristine. Then you have Bruce Dern, who's playing Mark. And Mark is a former military guy who goes out and raises a flag on a flagpole, an American flag, every morning. Ugh. Bruce Dern is a treasure because he always plays this fucking guy. Like he's always playing this guy, which is so great. So but why great. is he? Why did no one think to put it in a comedic role until this? Because the comedy <laughs> version of this role is the best. <laughs> it's the best. And then you have Rick Dukeman who um, plays Art the kind of sidekick neighbor for Tom Hanks for Ray Peterson. And he's such a shit starter. Like he is just such an instigator. He's so great. And he's also on vacation and his wife's out of town. So he's just like playing it up and just like, we're going to golf and smoke cigars and have a real time. He is so funny. Corey Feldman, who plays like the shitty teenager neighbor, Ricky, whose parents are out of town. I think they asked him to like paint the exterior of the house while they were gone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which such a weird premise <laughs> like, yeah you're a teenager paint our whole fucking house 
I couldn't, you know, I got to be honest with you. I couldn't. So I haven't seen this movie in a very long time, probably not since high school. And I was like, I could remember if Corey Feldman was a grown up living in that house by himself. Because when he first kind of shows up, he's painting the house. And I'm like, wait a minute. Is he does he own the house? Um, but then you eventually you figure out, oh, he's a teenager, you know, he's but just I was a like, wayward oh. child, he's a wayward child yeah. who's been left to his, and also nobody in the neighborhood seems to mind that either. Cause again, yeah. suburbs, you keep to yourself. If you leave your child at home for a week, that's on you. That's fine. Well, somebody's watching. So somebody's always watching. It's fine. If the house burns down, he'll, somebody will call the cops, hopefully. But you've got this, like this weird ecosystem happening in this neighborhood. And then you plop right down in the middle of it. A family, a multi-generational immigrant family called the Clopex. Mm-hmm. And their yard isn't done and their porch is falling apart and their house is just a shambles. Um, so when Walter, the older neighbor, goes missing, of course, Art, the shit stirrer, and Ray, Tom Hanks, decide that the Clopex have something to do with it after a series of events. And they decide to investigate the Clopex. Uh, so that is a brief synopsis of this film. I love Tom Hanks when he does movies like this. I oh. love him in a flat out comedy space where he is just sarcasm and one liners. And he's so he's just so he plays that role so well. Like he's got his little shorts, his little khakis on <laughs> his little chubbies or whatever they're called, like the <laughs> those like five inch inseam men's 80 shorts. He just wants to chill. And Art's like, no, we got to figure this out. And it's kind of like it's one of those things where the gossip starts early about the Clopex because there's already gossip about how their old house burned down. And then there's like, you know, nobody comes in, nobody goes out. We don't see any deliveries. Like, what do you think they're eating over there? Like just the the nature of that kind of spurious sort of gossip and that insipidness of it yeah. just starts instantly. And so when they do see that at night, one night, <laughs> the garage opens while they're outside chilling, smoking a cigar, and they see the younger of the Clopex get in his car and drive the garbage to the end of the driveway, take it out of the car, and then just like pound it into the garbage can and drive back to the house. They're like, what is up? And on top of that, the next night it starts raining and Ray sees them because he's the direct next door neighbor. So Ray Mm -hmm. sees them all like digging in the yard and he's like, what are they digging in the middle of a rainstorm? There's just all these little clues that kind of add up. So they decide to really start investigating this family and it is just hijinks galore it's funny because you're so right about this family is not on board with the fucking pact of the burbs which is that you know you have to have like a good looking house you can't be pale and come out at night and do weird shit in your yard it's like they're doing literally every everything is wrong and of course all the neighbors are just like creeping and they there's they're like we got to figure these people out because the people that lived there before them suddenly are have moved out and then who are the fuck are these people and it's the dads that's the funny thing is it's the dads of the neighborhood which is also like that's another fascinating thing about like neighborhoods is the like factions of dads and factions of moms like moms have their own shit like Y'all know the moms in the neighborhood. So, but it's like all the dads um, that are just sort of like plotting and trying to come up. And of course, like the Bruce Dern character, you know, he's like, 
got military experience, so he's got all this gear. He's, he's got like fucking like infrared. <laughs> And like all that shit, which is classic, classic, like, oh, like gosh. always a like overzealous military guy in the neighborhood. So and good. it's just that thing where it's sort of like that the politics of like, you know, being the weird family in the neighborhood and like everybody's fucking trying to figure you out. You know what I mean? And the gender dynamics definitely come into play because eventually Carol, who's played by Carrie Fisher, and Bonnie, uh, who's played by Wendy Shaw, that's Mark's wife, are like, yeah. hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going over there right now with some cookies and we're going to like introduce ourselves to them instead of like sneaking around <laughs> their yard <laughs> and causing all this damage. Like we're going to go and just say hello. And what's hilarious about that scene is not just that they do it, that the women are just like, fuck this. If we're going to get any peace here, we can't let you lead this. But then they go over to the house and the family is really fucking weird. <laughs> like, they're not, they necessarily shouldn't be like, you know, under investigation for it. But they are so strange. And they're they, the Adams like, family for sure. They like, are 100% like the yeah. all male Adams family. They serve the, this scene has always made <laughs> me laugh so hard. I don't know why, but there's a scene where they serve pretzels with sardines and Tom Hanks just starts like sneezing and kind of having a fit and he hasn't eaten the whole thing. It is so fucking funny. Yeah. And it's like, these are strange things. These are strange things happening. That That is like one of my favorite scenes, too, because it's happening really slowly. And then, they, of course, they like crank up the mouth sounds. And like, <laughs> well, you can see you can see that Carrie Fisher's character and Wendy Shaw's character are like about to vomit. And yeah. they're like, uh, but you have to be the one that eats it because we don't want to be fucking rude. So you're the guinea pig. And Tom Hanks is like, oh, shit, I got to do this. <laughs> and like, that's so like, good. again, you just you touched on it earlier, but like Tom Hanks as this type of character is the best i love when he screams like when tom <laughs> hanks screams that cracks me the fuck up every time like when he spills coffee on his leg and he like flips out i'm like is there anything funnier than tom hanks flipping out like no. that it's so funny I, it's like joe versus the volcano like all movies where he flips out are the best there's a, there's a scene in this movie where so help me, if somebody could make this a ringtone, I would be so happy. Where he and Art are in the backyard and the dog's digging under the fence and finds a bone and they start screaming and the camera just like goes in and out on their screams. <laughs> and Tom Hanks is so funny. Oh my He's God. so funny. I love it. There's also a scene in this, in this film that um, there's just so many that are just true hijinks. Like it's just such a... It's not a feel-good movie in terms of, like, what they're doing to this family at all, but it is such a fucking funny movie that about exposing the strangeness of the suburbs and your creepy neighbors. Yeah. And again, who's the real creep here? Tom Hanks at one point is like, it's us. Like, the family did nothing to us. They were just living there. They were doing their own thing. We are the creeps. We're the ones who are, like, infiltrating their lives, not the other way around. And there is a scene at the end where he is just so... Again, like it just has cracked me up since I was a little kid where he's like, I've been blown up. Take me to the hospital. And he throws himself on a stretcher. He's <laughs> <laughs> just like so busted. And he throws himself on a stretcher. And is like, I've been blown up. Oh, God, I just love him so much. I need to briefly discuss who I feel is the absolute fucking star of the movie. 
is Queenie the dog. Thank you. Um, Bijan royalty in this house, as you know, because my dog is a Bijan as well. And let me just tell you, like, I have so much to say about Walter's character, because this is what I think is also really funny about this movie is that Walter is sort of not the creep, which you kind of right. were like, he is because he wears a bad toupee. He has this crazy dog that's shitting in everybody's yard, but somehow they want to find out where he is. Right. <laughs> so him, in, a way, <laughs> in a way, they sort of like are they're trying to get justice for him. Right. But it's that thing where like, you know, they go into his house and, and it's like, he's got, it's like an old gay man's house. I love it. I was like, I would live here. I would yes. be the Walter of the neighborhood, but that dog, <laughs> first of all, I'm sure everybody knows this by now, but that dog is famous because the, the dog has an IMDB. Uh, <laughs> that is incredible. Her real name is Darla. And it has like facts about Darla. She was born in 1975 in the United <laughs> States of America. Uh, she was the dog from Silence of the Lambs. Oh, she was Darla. the dog from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And she was in Batman Returns. I mean, she's been in things. Like, she's like a full actress. And. Like in this movie, she's iconic. And I'm just sort of like, uh, I love the Bijan visibility that she brought uh, throughout her career. And, Thank you. you know, the funny thing is, is that everybody thinks she's a poodle, but she's not. She's a Bijan. But I just love Queenie. I love there's a lot of I think with both of our movies, there's like small dog trauma. You know, yes, like, yes. <laughs> so I mean, we'll get to that in a second, but also like with Queenie, it's that thing where like her owner goes missing and they're just sort of like, well, we got to take care of this dog because we don't know where Walter is. And that's how they find out that he's missing. Cause they're like, why is this yeah. dog out? Like he never lets, he lets her shit in our yard, but he always calls her back. Like she's never just dirty and roaming around. Exactly. And there's this one point where they go into his house and they leave her on the counter. And there's a moment where they just all leave. And I'm like, do not leave this dog on the counter but luckily they don't and when they show the next scene and they and the dog is with like tom hanks i literally felt the most relief i've ever felt oh, in wait, my life wait so you thought they were like we don't know where walter is you're on your own <laughs> i was like they're gonna leave this poor dog on the counter she's not gonna be able to get down the, the only thing she's got in here is his toupee. Look, it's the suburbs. I, <laughs> like, it's I the can't. suburbs. I don't put it past anyone to be like, not our business, yo. <laughs> like, we did our best. We broke into your house. Your owner's not here. Here's uh, a bag of Alpo. Good luck. Oh, my God. So so you're telling you're telling me, do you think that the creeps, you, you there's multiple creeps in this movie. You think multiple that, creeps. Yeah, the, there's the creeps, the obvious creeps, but then there's the the neighbors, like the Tom Hanks character and his buddies. Exactly. And there, see, this is the thing that I feel like the ending of this movie, which we're still hearing from people about spoilers, it's kind of half and half right now. But I will say that the, yeah. end of the ending of this movie could have gone either way. And the way that they chose for it to go, I think, doesn't detract from the fact that Tom Hanks and his crew were creeps. So I think the multi-creep factor remains uh, because what's yeah. creepier? The insistence that everyone is the same is creepy to me. Exactly. And the insistence that like, like you said, like they signed some silent agreement 
about how to act and how to be and how to live and just removing individuality. That to me is creepy that you have to live in order for you to live comfortably. You have to live around people who are exactly like you. Yeah. And the policing. That's the Mm -hmm. creepy part. It's just this idea that like you're running the show in this neighborhood and like, you know, if there's like you're the one that decides that there's a problem and that these people are weird and that you have to investigate them and go through their trash, especially (laughs) these people who don't know shit about fuck like these people don't know anything. (laughs) Like, why are you the police of this neighborhood? You can't keep your own shit together. Oh, it's so it's it's an inadvertently great look at how absurd it is that that these neighborhoods develop the way they do and persist the way they do. That is so wild to me in this day and age when we have access to so many different types of living and lifestyle. And that's what people want to protect is this weird like hive mind bullshit. (laughs) Like I don't get it. I don't get it. I understand the need to want your children to be in safe schools and for you to live with some space. Why can't everyone have that? Why can't everyone have yeah. that in the way that feels good to them? Why does it have to only be in this iteration of life that you get to have that? I don't like it. Yeah. And, th- and this movie did. I mean, this is so absurd what I'm about to say, but it did make me almost feel nostalgia for the days where people used to creep on other neighbors in person <laughs> with the other neighbors like now it's just like everybody looks at their ring videos and gets on next door and be like this is fucked up you know whereas before it used to be like yo everyone's congregating in the garage of somebody in the neighborhood we're gonna like sort this out but you know now it's all done online and i just i miss the simpler days it's not the same it's a different kind of creep <laughs> next door is the ultimate creepy app to me because next door i i was on next door for my neighborhood for like two weeks and i could not hack it me too because i'm like y'all are racist and paranoid and i did not realize <laughs> i lived in that kind of a neighborhood but they're sincerely next the next door app one of the posts i saw was like there was a brown man walking down the street yesterday does anybody know him and i'm like what we live in a city can you not just use a street as a thoroughfare you have to live in the neighborhood you're walking through or else someone's gonna get you and then of course all the comments were like i don't know my bike was stolen in my backyard so it could have been him and i'm like this is wild but that's now the neighborhood policing is on these apps and it's very strange and it's so i mean there there's there's information on those apps that i feel like i don't want to know like, I'm sorry that that happened to you, but I don't want to know that there's someone taking a shit in all the fucking garbage cans. <laughs> Let them take their shit. And then guess what? It'll get tossed out. Why are you expecting your garbage that hard before it goes in the truck? Like, just let people do what they got to do. Don't kink shame the fucking garbage shitter. Like, I just... Also, a garbage can is essentially a toilet that doesn't have water running Thank through you. it. Just come on. Thank you. It's all going in the same place. No one, No one has ever rinsed out an outdoor garbage can like it is filled with every new diseases are born there every day <laughs> like it's insane oh my god i want to get into your neighborhood oh. creep though oh we are about to are you ready I'm ready so my movie this week for the theme of neighborhood creeps is a movie from 1954 it's called rear window it was directed by alfred hitchcock This is the apartment of a man named Jeffries, a news photographer whose beat used to be the world. Right now, his world has shrunk down to the size of this window. 
He's been watching the people across the way. Nobody seems to pull their blinds during a hot spell like this. He knows a lot about them by now. Too much, perhaps. All right, Danielle. <laughs> yeah. It's 2021. We've been under quarantine for over a year at this point. There might be like a slight light at the end of this tunnel, but effectively we are still sitting in the house on Zoom. Mm-hmm. Binge watching, <laughs> playing fucking video games, making damn breads or whatever. We're still doing all this stuff, right? And we've exhausted like pretty much all entertainment possibilities at this point. We're bored as hell. And my point ultimately is if anyone should understand the general plot line to Rear Window, it's us. It's all of all us. All of us right? in this moment. <laughs> because Rear Window is about Jimmy Stewart. And Jimmy Stewart is like a war correspondent photographer. So he's a photographer, but he works in like foreign countries or did because when the movie begins, we see that Jimmy Stewart's character is laid up in his apartment with a broken leg. Right. And it's the old school broken <laughs> leg. It's like the cast that goes like over the waist. <laughs> I was like, he broke his leg so hard they had to like cast his nips. (laughs) There's this like scene very early in the movie where, you know, he's like doing the thing where he takes like the scratcher and he has to put it down. I was like, this is grossing me out. He's like up by his shoulder going in. And I'm like, dude, you should have let them like cut in a hole or something like a peephole in that fucking leg. You shouldn't have to go up above your shoulder to scratch your leg. And I was like, yo, this is 1954. This shit is wrong for 1954. <laughs> Watching a guy like go down the front of his cast to like scratch this itch where he's like having an orgasmic experience. And I'm oh, like, this no. is kind of a lot. But anyway, he's laid up in his apartment. And apparently he he's a week away from getting his cast off. So he's been this way for a long fucking time. Right. Um, and apparently he's spent like 24 hours a day <laughs> sitting in this wheelchair. Like he's not even getting out of the wheelchair to like go to bed. He's sleeping in his own wheelchair and he's just bored as hell. His nurse is like, what is like, I wouldn't have to come over here and fucking massage you if you would just go to sleep in your bed. You idiot. <laughs> No, he's he's literally just sitting in a wheelchair all day and night and has done so for months. And he lives in New York in Greenwich Village or somewhere somewhere in that area of New York City. And he's got a nurse from the insurance company, as you mentioned, who is played by the wonderful Thelma Ritter. She's the best. Um, And she comes by and she's changing his sheets and giving him back rubs and just kind of giving him like advice to be like, get out of the chair and (laughs) shit like that. And he's also got this like beautiful, radiant girlfriend who's played by Grace Kelly, Princess Grace Mm -hmm. Kelly. And he's like thinking about dumping her because she's like too perfect, which is also just such a weird this thing. is what happens i'll get into that yeah, later. we'll get into that but, because this is what happens when you're jimmy stewart and you're in a fucking wheelchair up to your eyeballs it's apparently you're like she's too cute for me i can't yeah. she's she's too good yeah. she's too good she's too good we will definitely get to this later but he's he's cooped up at his place he's got not a damn thing to do he's basically like considering breaking up with his girlfriend and he's just like looking out the window And he's watching all of his neighbors do things. And, you know, this is like obviously New York City where people are living on top of each other. And he makes the he 
talks about this in the film. Like his character says that, you know, he doesn't make like a ton of money from his job. So this is how he lives. Like he lives in a situation where he lives in, you know, an apartment building with tons and tons of neighbors. And he's saying this, I think, to Grace Kelly's character who lives like presumably uptown and she's fancy and has a lot of money. Right. So there we go with the sort of class issue of the neighborhood. Right. Um, So people are living on top of each other. It's apparently super hot because it's summertime and everyone has their windows open. Because honestly, at first I was like, is this another instance of sexy living in the air? (laughs) Or is is this Michael Fassbender living sexy in the air? And then you got to peep at that couple who was sleeping out on the mattress and you're like, oh no, that is not what's happening here. (laughs) That is not sexy living in the air. Yeah. That's the thing is that Jimmy Stewart is watching all of these neighbors in the building across from him. And it's literally like two of his neighbors pulling a mattress out on their fire escape so they can sleep because it's so fucking hot in their apartment. He's watching this other guy like compose music at his piano and he's kind of just like an artist, like a doing an artist thing, right? He's watching this lady (laughs) put her little dog in a basket that's attached to a rope and she's like sending it down like three stories instead of like walking down the stairs and taking out her damn dog herself. She's like, no, just put this dog in a basket. We're just going to send it down the, the fire escape because I'm too lazy to walk down two flights. And then apparently stairs. just like let him not just run in the yard, but like run all over the city. Yeah. I was like, damn. But he's taking off. He's out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like you got a lot of trust in that dog, but it's this thing where it's kind of this like symphony of people doing stuff that he's just watching because he has the time and he's watching like these single women. So he's watching this like really beautiful, like young blonde, like she's doing ballet routines in her underwear and he starts calling her Miss Torso, which is basically like the worst, most lazy nickname oh ever given. I'm like, Miss Torso, that doesn't even, that's not even funny. I know that he didn't write that line, but I instantly doubted the validity of Jimmy Stewart's sex appeal when I heard that. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, Miss Torso, how did you ever pick up anyone in your life? How, or Even for the character, <laughs> like how did this guy get Grace Kelly? Mm-hmm. I have a lot to say about that. And I will say that in just a <laughs> second. But he, um, you know, so he's watching... Miss Torso. And then he's watching this like middle-aged woman who lives alone and she's having dinner with herself. And you can just tell based on what we're watching that she's like not in a good place. And he starts calling her Miss Lonely Hearts. And so he's like, you know, just sort of like watching all of his neighbors do stuff. And he's got stories about them in his head. And um, then he starts watching this, this other couple. The wife seems to be kind of like bedridden or sick and then her husband is some kind of traveling salesman because he's got like a bunch of suitcases around and stuff and again jimmy stewart's character is fully invested in these people like you can tell that he's only been doing this for the past few months and so then he starts watching them particularly this couple with the the traveling salesman and his wife with like binoculars and like later he pulls out his fucking professional camera with a telescopic lens right and it's like that and honestly like that's when he starts being the neighborhood thank you right thank you yeah and like even Thelma Ritter and Grace Kelly are like dude you're a peeping Tom yeah like why are you pulling out that gear that professional spy gear like dude you own a telephoto lens 
you are the creep. Like, I don't care if you're doing professional wildlife shots for like planet Earth. You're you're creeping on something or someone if you have a telephoto lens. Just saying. Yeah, exactly. And he's using his professional gear, his pro gear. But then like he picks up something on his camera. There's a situation that happened with the salesman and his wife. And he starts seeing like some very creepy stuff. Like the wife is suddenly kind of gone and you don't really see her anymore. And then you're watching the husband fucking doing all this weird shit, like packing up saws and knives and hiding like women's jewelry. And he's like cleaning fluids off the walls in his apartment and like bored ass Jimmy Stewart. And now he's of course gotten Grace Kelly and Thelma Ritter into this voyeuristic shit. They all start convincing themselves that this neighbor has murdered his wife, chopped up her body and then took them out like piece by piece, probably in his salesman suitcases to like hide all the evidence. Right. But they don't have any proof. Obviously, they can just see him from their building. But this is the tension of the film. Right. So the tension of the film is basically like somebody's watching someone else from a distance. Someone might have committed a murder but you're not able to like confirm or deny any of it and he can't do anything about it in in either case and this is that like that self-policing neighborhood bullshit like you don't have enough information you don't actually know what's going on and god forbid you talk to each other but you're going to make these wild proclamations about what you think what you think has happened exactly and it gets to the point where Jimmy Stewart's character like even calls up his like old army buddy who's this cop and he's like, yo, like I got a scoop. You got to go in there and arrest that guy. And the cops like this is not detective work. Like you're not a detective. Like you can't just look at somebody and be like, he's a murderer and then I can go arrest them. Right. And truthfully, this is also a point where when and I've, I've thought this is the first time I watched this film, honestly, like the, so the first time I saw this movie, I've wondered why didn't Jimmy Stewart, instead of creeping on all of his goddamn neighbors, just lean out the window one day and be like, yo, I'm in a wheelchair. I got a bum leg. Let's party. Like, who are you people? Let's talk. <laughs> hard, hard to say, you know, and, and that's that's another thing, too, which I guess is like a, a question that never gets resolved is if he even you have to maybe wonder okay maybe he travels a lot for his job and maybe he just doesn't know his neighbors and no one else is coming over to help this guy except for the nurse that is required to come help him uh and his girlfriend so yeah maybe he's like literally not chill with any of them (laughs) and needed to be maybe just to like have something else to do besides spying on the damn neighbors if he had like a puzzle do you think that i mean this movie (laughs) wouldn't exist but that character would not be investigating scooping on you know scoping out on his neighbors if he had a puzzle i mean if he simply had the internet <laughs> then this movie would definitely not exist um so i'll i want to just say this too because i mean you know i gotta get some paperwork out of the way okay so this movie rear window is considered one of alfred hitchcock's like masterpieces right it's like it's generally considered very important film right <laughs> capital letters And you can imagine, so it's been written about several times by several famous film scholars, including a woman named Laura Mulvey, 
who basically used it as the center of her famous essay, which is called Visual Pleasure in the Narrative Cinema, um, which you've probably only read if you've taken like a media studies class or like a women's studies class even. Um, and definitely if you're in film school. And I won't like go completely into the film lesson, but basically she's the per like Laura Mulvey is the person that came up with the concept of the male gaze, which is just to describe it. It's just the idea that uh, women's bodies in film are just shown for male pleasure. And it's mostly because they're shot and directed by straight men. So basically the way that they are presented on film is always from a male perspective. Right. And part of why Weir Window, I think, is talked about so much in this way is because we are looking from Jimmy Stewart's perspective. Like right. we are seeing what he sees. So basically we're the peeping toms too. Like we feel the stress of wondering if this like salesman in the building is a murderer. Like we feel that. And we're watching Miss Torso, like, you know, traipsing around in her underwear and Miss Lonely Hearts and Grace Kelly and all this stuff. So like, obviously this movie is like real ripe for like all kinds of like analyses yep. on like, viewership and spectator positioning and voyeurism and desire and all that stuff. And that's something that I really appreciated about the movie is that the way that it's filmed is so slowly and almost silently, unless one of the neighbors is actively doing something loud, like, you know, playing a piano or something, that you really get to stay with that feeling for a long time. Yeah. That feeling of voyeurism. And it's almost to the point where you're watching people so often that you start to feel like you're being watched. Yeah. And there's like a feeling. So like the difference between, let's say, like your movie where we can see like Tom Hanks and his neighbors being dumbasses and we can be like they're dumbasses. But with this movie, with Rear Window, we don't get to have the distance. So we're, there's this one scene I think that gets I think it's discussed fairly often, maybe where the Miss Lowly Hearts character um is in her apartment and she had a really bad date, basically had like a pretty much an assault happened to her and the Thelma Ritter character is noticing from Jimmy Stewart's apartment that she's about to swallow a bunch of sleeping pills. And this is happening at the same time as there's this like new information that's coming out of the salesman's apartment. So the Jimmy Stewart character is like super wrapped up in that. And he's almost like too busy to notice that a woman is like about to kill herself yes. basically. And it's just like that thing where like, as a viewer, you're like, you know that this is happening and you're and it's the camera is on the woman who might be about to kill herself. But, you know, Jimmy Stewart's character is not letting you kind of like go there fully. And it's this feeling of like, I'm trapped. I want to look at this thing, but I can't because, yeah. you know, I'm being forced to deal with this other thing. It's uh, it's just interesting. It's like a loaded scene, I think, famously and just people. People talk about I, it a lot. I'm glad you, you referenced that because I thought not even from like a film, like film studies perspective, but I think that and I appreciate having that information because I did feel that like I was like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Why aren't we going back there? And why isn't the nurse doing something? And why isn't this like, like it just created a whole other layer of narrative 
while you're watching something else happen that is also interesting, but maybe not as interesting or as important. That felt really, I'm sure that was incredibly fresh for that moment, like back in that day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and I think, again, that's why this film has just continued to be talked about and studied. I mean, quite honestly, I think I wrote about it when I was in film school, which is like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, this this film endures, obviously. But like when it comes to the neighborhood creep question, like I said, I I. I've always been convinced that one of my neighbors was a murderer, honestly, like all of my neighbors that in every place that I've lived. So I can understand Jimmy Stewart's like curiosity. Certainly. I can understand too, why he would want to go to such great lengths to figure that out. Like I understand that curiosity impulse. Okay. But I also hate the fucking neighborhood watch shit too. Like, you know, it's like the the person who's looking out the window, watching everybody, not minding their own business, just that busybody type that he becomes. That to me is annoying as shit. So in terms of who the creep is, it's like I take that silent partner position, that one where, you know, when we talked about the silent partner, where I'm like, who's the Christmas asshole? It's everyone. Well, but that that is a crucial question to the whole setup of this movie that I love, which is. Like when you live in a city, you can't help but be a creep. Like you're always looking yeah. at something and like that you're not intentionally supposed to see, but it's in your line of vision because you're all slammed together. And that to, that to me, I think, creates I mean, this is obviously what Alfred Hitchcock does best is create tension and make us all nervous about like shit like this, like living in tight quarters and not giving us the freedom to like like we're stuck in the moment where we can't, you know, we're ha- we're stressed out by what's happening in this neighborhood we're stressed (laughs) out because it's like it's not just the idea that jimmy stewart is you know spying on somebody who could be a murderer but also just like you're worried about all the other people there's a scene where i hope that (laughs) this isn't giving away a lot of stuff but that dog Mm. mm, that dog like another dog trauma i it's like i was like yo i'm shook from this scene but basically guess what happens the dog dies and the woman who owns the dog is like pleading out into the night air. Like, mm-hmm. how could you kill my dog? Who did this? You know, you guys didn't do anything. And it's this moment where you're like, she's just addressing everybody yep. in the neighborhood. Like, she's just like, she's grieving and she's upset and she doesn't know who to point to because it's just like the neighborhood didn't do anything. And that that's a feeling that you get too in, in a neighborhood situation where you're just sort of like, all these people are around and nobody saw this shit go down. Like, come and on. Also, that certainty that like somebody did it. So somebody had to see something. That's something that plays out now in so many crime dramas and, you know, so yeah. many, you know, real, like, you know, true crime. And it's just that and the notion that somebody saw something because you, you're always looking and you can't help but be looking. Yeah. And, yeah, when you're grieving and your dog dies and you want to know, you want a reason, you're like, there's 800 people around me. Why can nobody come up with a reason for this? Um, and the heat of this, of this movie, I think, is a big part of the that oppressed tension as well, yeah. is that, you know, there's a scene where it starts raining. And I swear, because I've lived in cities like this where it gets so oppressively hot and then it rains and cools everything down. There's just like a fine mist of cool that kind of comes in on the on the heels of it. So just the the tension that's created by the the narrative and by all this voyeurism is one thing. But then that heat is also part of it, because this is also part of the reason why you're able to see so much of these people's lives. Their windows are open because it's hot. 
Exactly. There's and, you know, notoriously like New York apartments, big city apartments always have like problems with heating and cooling. So literally people are like opening up their windows so you can see everything, you know. And yeah, that's a huge component to this movie. Um, But, you know, I want to get back to the whole like Jimmy Stewart and uh, Grace Kelly thing, because so I I will say this is a controversial classic movie opinion, maybe. (laughs) And. That is that I think I'm more of like a Mr. Smith goes to Washington fan of Jimmy Stewart. I actually think he had a cute period. Like I'm like, yo, when he was young, he was super cute to me. <laughs> LB Jeffries. I think that's his name in this movie. He's not a sexy peeping Tom no. at all. Like he's definitely a grump and he's just kind of like weird. He's got like a like a stench about him, you know, like a like a ooh, God. And also, I don't know if it was because of like the remastering of this movie or the digitization of it or whatever. But both he and the salesman had like distractingly bluish gray powdered wig kind of hair, yes. which just exacerbated the age difference between him and Grace <laughs> Kelly. Like he had straight up yeah. like Simpsons blue hair. <laughs> I know. Part of me is like um, sometimes remastering can be too good. Like, you know what I mean? Like sometimes restoration work is too good. You're seeing like the old pancake makeup and the fucking old man hair stuff for movies. It's it was wild. it's crazy. But. Grace Kelly is, I mean, she's obviously like so radiant in this movie. And it's funny because part of what I think is so, so interesting about their relationship is obviously like he's much older than her. I I mean, at the time he was in fact much older than her. I don't know like how old he was supposed to have been in this movie necessarily, but like the funny thing is, is that he's contemplating dumping her because she's too perfect and she's too like, you know, put together. And he thinks of himself as this like scrappy war photographer guy who's like, I'm going to be in the bush. Like you can't, you're not going to be able to wear your uh, fancy dresses when we're out in, you know, the jungle and all this shit. And she's just like, I don't care. Like, just, I want to be in your life. Is that chill or what? Like, yeah. what, what's your problem here? Are you like, you know, too grumpy? Like what's going on? And then, you know, his whole party line is that, you know, he needs somebody who, who has more grit or right. something. And then apparently she shows that grit by being a creep. <laughs> like basically she's like, he's like, yo, she's a creep. She's in there, man. She's like jumping over the, fire escape and she's like going into his apartment i think i'm falling in love with this girl she's a fucking creep too she like mary lou retton somersaults into that (laughs) building and it's like oh you want some grit i got grit scales the fucking pipe like doesn't even like go up like she goes upstairs she gets out on this balcony and she's just crawling around like a fucking spider monkey. And I'm like, this is too much to do to get a man's attention. <laughs> you should not have to fucking do parkour into a murderer's apartment to get someone's attention. <laughs> You're Grace Kelly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, part of me is like, she better have just done it for love of the game. Thank you. Because honestly, like, if it's for this dude, that ain't it. Like, you know, do it because you have an insatiable curiosity yes. too. Like, but it's that funny thing where like that is the sort of the light bulb moment for him is that like, damn, she's a neighborhood creep too, man. I'm down. Like, let's go. Like, she's not too prim and proper to like 
be jumping off the shit and like you know doing a you know basically like climbing a fence in that beautiful dress and you oh know fancy gosh. heels if he found out that she was the one who killed the dog he would have like it would have been the first on-screen pants jizz <laughs> that cast would have completely cracked <laughs> by the size of his boner can i say that can I call, can I say Jimmy Stewart Boner yes! on this podcast? That's so. That is the title of the episode. <laughs> this, it feels patently wrong to talk about Jimmy Stewart's boner breaking a cast It's in like half. talking about your grandpa's boner. Like that is gross. <laughs> I know. I'm it like, just feels bad. I am not listening to this. Um, anyway, that, so to me, like I said, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm torn on who the actual creep is. I think it's everybody, which is, I hope it's not a cop out, but honestly, no. when it comes down to it, I think our movies both have a lot of things in common in the sense that it is the idea of people watching other people and sort of ca- casting judgments and sort of policing their own environments. Right. right? And, um, you know, I think, that's a that's a timeless concept. It's, it's, it's as American as apple pie and racism. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! This was so much fun. I love it. I love a neighborhood creep movie. I do too. In fact, we had a lot on our list. Yeah. We had to whittle it down many times. Maybe we'll do another neighborhood creep um, in commemoration of the anniversary of your neighbor wanting you to check out their head wound. <laughs> Uh, weirdly enough, I haven't heard from her lately. I really don't know what happened I there. I mean, as much as I was reluctant to admit that I gave my strange neighbor my phone number, you gave your strange neighbor your email address. <laughs> <laughs> she will definitely hate this episode, by the way. Um, all right. Well, my God. Super fun. We're definitely doing this again. Why don't you tell the listeners about our social media? You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at I Saw Pod. And if you're feeling like it, you can even drop us a line at I Saw What You Did Pod at Gmail. Yes, please. We we read mailbags. As we've mentioned before, a disclaimer, if you write in, we may read your email on the air unless you tell us not to. And please give us all the pertinent information about what to call you, your pronouns, etc. Let's talk about the films for next week. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to give the listeners the, the movies? Oh, I cannot wait to give the movies because we're going to watch. American movie from 1999 and The Decline of Western Civilization 2, The Metal Years from 1988. Oh my God. Guess that damn theme. Put on some Pantera or Anthrax. (laughs) Let that be the soundtrack to your week. I cannot wait until next week's episode. It's going to be so fun to talk about those movies. Uh, Well, until then. Yes. Bye. See you guys soon. Thanks for listening. We love you. This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Alexis Amorosi. Our engineer is Annalise Nelson. Our social media manager is Taryn Mazza. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgareth, and Danielle Kramer. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. Email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. And please don't forget to listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. 